It may surprise you to learn that evangelism is something you are uniquely qualified for. Pastor Ed Ray explains. God gives us the privilege of working alongside him to share our testimony, what God did for us with other people. And you are uniquely qualified to do that. Each one of us has a circle of people we know and interact with, and you have a circle that's completely different than someone sitting across the room from you or me. So bring it. Let God do the cleaning. You don't have to worry about all that. And usually it's the person that you think is impossible to reach. Zion, now build with hands, and in this place God will dwell with man. Sit be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. Reaching others with our testimony of how God worked in our lives is often underrated and thus underused. Well, today on Grow in Grace, we hope to change that. Pastor Ed Ray addresses the key issues of evangelism and discipleship today. 2 Timothy chapter 1 will answer what's involved in sharing our testimony and how we go about it. Now, of course, what we all have in common is our testimony. It's our experience with the grace of God. We begin today's lesson on that note of grace and why it's our emphasis. From 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9, here's Pastor Ed. Grace is the basis of God's salvation, His sustaining, setting aside, sanctification of us, and ultimately eternity. Now, we've talked a lot about that concept because Paul writes about it over and over again, as we just read. He's talking about the new covenant. And I emphasize this a lot here because I do not hear it emphasized in the church, church of Jesus Christ in the world. The new covenant is the covenant that Jesus started the night he took his cup and he said, this is my blood of a new covenant. He had already taught that you can't put new wine in old wineskins. You can't sew new cloth on old cloth. It'll pull away. He was describing what would happen when he died on the cross and the covenant was instituted when he rose again, of which you and I are now part of. He predicted it in Ezekiel 36 and Jeremiah 31 and that this new covenant would involve heart surgery. Your heart, my heart of stone, take it out, he said. I'll take out your heart of stone, and I, God speaking, will put in a heart of flesh. And I will write my law of love on your heart, and I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my ways. That's five I wills, what God is going to do, not what we're going to do. We're going to surrender. We are volunteers. We started by reading Psalm 110. We volunteer for the army of God. We surrender to it. We allow God to have control of our lives. We are now part of this new covenant given to us as Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus, before time begin. Before time begin is pro chronos and ion. And ion is eternal with no end, infinity. And chronos is, of course, time. And pro is before. So, literally this says, before eternal times. 
before the beginning of time, from all eternity past, before God stepped into time, before God created that sphere, the fourth dimension. I do not understand this. I can say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. But I cannot explain to you how God did that or exactly how it impacts our lives. But before the foundations of the earth, the lamb was slain for you and for me. I believe that the Holy Spirit is emphasizing this to give Timothy and me and you the encouragement, the assurance that God will finish what he has begun. It's meant to strengthen us. I was uh, smiling when I listened to the prayer because I was reading this week about a, a little church outside of Boise, Idaho that went through a centennial recently. And 100 years and they had a part of it was a reenactment of the log cabin they'd built in, et cetera. But it was describing a man who knew the second pastor and was still alive, 100 years old. And so he wanted to play the old pastor that was there because that pastor had led him to salvation in Christ. And so he said that he was a logger he told of the efforts of this pastor to reach him. He was a hard-drinking, hard-living man with no interest in the gospel. In fact, he admitted that he was a man who once said he had never met a preacher that he liked. I know a couple people like that. But the pastor told him he was praying for him one day and complaining to God that he would never be able to bring this logger to Christ. And that even if he did, he wouldn't know what to do with him after he became a member of the church and got saved. So God spoke to him, he said, into his heart in an unusual way that even he could understand. God said, quote, don't worry about a thing. I'll use you to catch him and I'll clean him. And that's exactly what happened. I like that because God gives us the privilege of working alongside him to share our testimony, what God did for us with other people. And you are uniquely qualified to do that. Each one of us has a circle of people we know and interact with, and you have a circle that's completely different than someone sitting across the room from you or me. So bring it. Let God do the cleaning. You don't have to worry about all that. And usually it's the person that you think is impossible to reach. Now, I say that with some embarrassment because a couple Saturday nights ago, there was a really hardcore guy sitting right over there. And, and I kept looking at him because I'm thinking, what in the world is he doing here? I mean, you know, got the, just tatted up and looking real disheveled and looked like he was drunk, and he was. And so, you know, do the service, do the little altar call at the end, look over. Nobody in the room's got his hand up except this guy. No, no, let me explain again. What I said was... No, it was real. It was a real deal. And he came and talked with me later and then again a second time. And he's doing good. Two weeks later, he's growing in Jesus. It's a miracle. Yeah, yeah. You can give God a hand. Yeah. So don't hold back. You've got a few in your life, I'm sure, that you go, <laughs> they never come. Yeah, God can do it. He'll clean them too. Verse 10. But now has been revealed by the appearing 
The epiphany, literally, epiphanes in the Greek language, but we, our English word epiphany, by the epiphany, oh, now I see that moment, to step in the light, literally, of Jesus Christ who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. This has got a lot of stuff packed in it. So Jesus' first coming shined a light for us so that we could see something that they could never see in the Old Testament. Oh, they knew the Messiah was coming, even though God had told Isaiah his name and that he would be Emmanuel, as the angel said, but no one saw it. They didn't understand it. It's plain to us because we have hindsight, right? Unremoved death, abolished death, kategor ego, the word means without work. It was not annihilation of death because each one of us still passed through that, but death is nullified, made of no effect, Paul says to Timothy, that you will take your last breath here and then your next breath in front of Jesus. There it is. Brought life and immortality. God alone has immortality. We studied last time. This time, Paul says, God is bringing and giving it to us. He brought life and the gift of immortality. You and I will live forever with him in eternity in new bodies, praise God, and it will be a wonderful thing. Don't you long to be, well, some of you don't know what 30 is, but... uh, those of us who are a little the other side of 30, we're looking forward to going back to 30. That's when I'm figuring, I can't prove that, but anywhere from, you know, 18 to 30 would be fine. As long as you have your brains, I'm sorry about that. Verse 11, which I was appointed a preacher, apostle, and teacher of the gospel. Kirka, the Greek word is uh, translated preacher here. It literally is the town crier, the herald, you know, newspapers, No television in those days. Someone said, praise God over here. Uh, Yeah, the town crier. You are all of these things, believer. You're a herald. You're apostolos, apostle. Here's one sent out as an envoy or as an ambassador. Peter said, you are an ambassador for Christ. I am an ambassador for Christ. And thirdly, a teacher, didactic. We get our word didactic from it. It's a method of teaching. It's a certain form we'll see again in a moment. And you are called to do all those things. Well, I can't teach anybody, Pastor. Yes, you can. You can teach someone who's younger in the faith than you are. If nothing else, just the Bible. People come, get saved here, and their questions are not deep theological ones. So what's this New Testament, Old Testament thing, you know? What's the gospel? What's Matthew? And you can do that. God wants you to. It's good for you. It helps our own faith. When we're around brand new Christians, it's really, really fun. A good reminder from Pastor Ed Ray on today's Grow in Grace of the blessing of helping others in their relationship with the Lord. We continue now with part two of today's lesson in 2 Timothy chapter 1, picking up by reading verse 12. Once again, here's Pastor Ed. For this reason, I also suffered these things, Paul speaking of his current imprisonment and torture, Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, I'm not embarrassed, for I know whom I have believed. He doesn't say, I know what I have believed, although that is important. He doesn't say how I believe, although that is important. The most important thing is in whom you have believed. You see, it is a relationship, 
a personal relationship with a someone. It is not church membership. It is not attendance. It is not the number of prayers that you have prayed or the amount of money that you've given or the number of good deeds you have done to help people. It is whom you know. Jesus, and he makes himself known to us when we sit quietly in silence and listen. Not just giving the prayer list, that's wonderful. He's ready for that. He asks us to do that. But just sit in his presence and get to know who he is. He can be very funny sometimes. Look around the room, right? For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. God is able. That's what Paul says. He, capital H, is able. Now, we see that theme all over the New Testament, especially when we get to Hebrews, Hebrews 2.18, for in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to aid those who are tempted. Hebrews 7.25, therefore he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Philippians 3.21, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Jude 24, now to him who is able... <laughs> to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. God is able, we're not. God is able to get us all the way home. Charles Spurgeon wrote on this verse, the heathen philosopher said, know thyself. That is well, but that knowledge will only lead a man to hell. Know Christ, said the believer. Know him, and then you shall know yourself. And this shall certainly lead you to heaven. For the knowledge of Jesus Christ himself is saving knowledge. Verse 13. Hold fast. Grab on to the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and in love which are in Christ. This is a very interesting concept. Hold fast to the pattern, the sound of the words, another translation says. The pattern of sound teaching, another translation says. The scripture, the word of God. Paul's carefully taught lessons to Timothy and what we have recorded here. True teaching according to God's truth has a certain pattern to it, he is saying. The Greek word is actually a form, formula, a pattern that can be detected by the discerning spiritual heart. That's a very important concept because often I talk to young people, millennials by definition, who often say to me, well, I just read the Bible. I don't go to church anywhere. There's a danger in just having the Word. Oh, the Word is absolutely essential. But you need to hear the Word being taught because God has given you this gift if you surrendered your heart to him of a discerning heart. And you need to listen to the pattern of words that are used by the teacher, by the pastor, by the person that you're listening to. And you need to have your baloney meter turned on, okay? That's that very technical thing in your heart that goes, mm, I don't think so. 
There was something wrong with the way that was said, and then you go look it up. And that's the way God drills into us, goes deep into our heart and helps us to understand. You need to hear it said. That's what Paul is saying, and he's absolutely right. Timothy needed to hear it. You and I needed to hear it today. In faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. In faith, trusting, having confidence in God's revealed word in Scripture in the Bible. And in love, kindness and compassion and teaching those truths to others. It's not smoking or non-smoking. That's not helpful information to say to someone. It's God loves you, and he desires a relationship with you for eternity, and he proved it by dying on a cross. Verse 14, that good thing, which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. The good thing which was committed to you, the, the word actually speaks of a deposit made, of a treasure, of great wealth given to you. When you surrendered your life, when I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ, God put within me a treasure. The most valuable thing in the world, Christ in you, the hope of glory. God took up residence. He condescended to come and live in your heart and in mine. It's astounding that God would do that. This treasure deposited in Timothy was deposited in you. Verse 15, thus you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me. Paul's talking about now he's in prison and no one's coming, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. Now, these two men aren't mentioned anywhere else in Scripture, so I really can't tell you anything about them other than apparently they showed promise as leaders. And then when pressure came, they ran. When somebody says, deny Christ or I'll cut your head off, that's when the rubber really meets the road, and evidently they weren't able. Their faith didn't stand up to the storm and the trials. Verse 16, the Lord grant mercy. Now he mentions the third man. Grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. So again, not embarrassed about where I was. He said, great mercy he prays for this man. Elios, of course, mercy is not getting what we deserve, that God gives mercy to us to give away to other people. Originally, this word in the Greek language meant to feel pain that someone else has. But then as believers took a hold of it and imposed what God means on it, it actually means a compassionate response. The mercy that you have is to be shown to other people. I don't know where God would direct you, but there's plenty of people that need you to speak into their lives. Go to Mexico with us. Go get involved with kids, you know. I challenged somebody to uh, go to the junior high the other day, and they, they came and came back and said, you were right. About what? He said, you said the junior high was the toughest group of people in the world. God bless you for going to the junior high, okay? If you have a junior high, God bless you that you will get through it. Spurgeon says, this mercy that we receive from God is tender mercy. With a gentle, loving touch, he heals the brokenhearted. This mercy of God is a great mercy. There is nothing little in God. His mercy is like himself, infinite. The mercy of God is undeserved mercy. All true mercy must be, for there is no such thing as deserved mercy. 
It cannot be mercy if it is deserved. God's mercy is abounding mercy. Millions have received it, yet far from it being exhausted, it is as fresh and full and free as ever. The mercy of God is unfailing mercy. It will never leave you. It cannot fail. Verse 17, but when he arrived in Rome, this on, on this forest, he sought me out very zealously and found me, again, the, the Greek language is a little more precise. It's saying that it took a great deal of time and effort for him to find me. Evidently, Paul, his imprisonment was not known to the general public, and he searched hard to find the Apostle Paul. Verse 18, and the Lord grant him that he may find mercy from the Lord in that day. Verse 12, and here in 18, that day. It's, this is a prayer by Paul written for this man. And for the second time, he mentions that day, that day when Jesus touches down on planet Earth and the Mount of Olives splits in two and he begins to rule and reign. You and I will stand there. We'll all stand before him. How many ways he ministered to Paul. So he did. Let me try and put it together by going back and looking at verse 9 together, and I'll tell you a true story. Who has saved us? and called us to a holy calling, not according to our works, not according to our good deeds, but according to his own purpose, his design, and grace, the gift, charise of God, given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Almost 45 years ago, I was told a story by an elderly pastor, and I'm going to read it to you. As a young man, he had quarreled with his father. He finally left home and continued to keep in touch with his mother and wanted very badly to come back home for a holiday. But he was afraid his father was still angry and would not allow him. His mother wrote to him and urged him to come home several times, but he did not feel he could come until he knew his father had forgiven him. Finally, there was no more time for any more letters, and his mother wrote him and said that she would talk with his father again, and if he had forgiven him, she would tie a white rag on the tree which grew alongside the railroad tracks near their home. He could see before the train reached the station, so if there was no rag, it would be better that he would stay on the train and go on to Los Angeles. So the young man started home. As the train drew near his home, he was so nervous that he said to his friend who was traveling with him, I'm too nervous to look, sit in my place and look out the window. I'll tell you what the tree looks like, and you can tell me whether there's a rag on it or not. So his friend changed places with him and looked out the window. After a bit, his friend said, oh, yes, I, I see the tree. The son was anxious, and he said, is there a white rag tied to it? For a moment, the friend did not say anything. Then he turned in a very gentle, low whisper said, there is a white rag tied to every limb on that tree. That's what God is saying to you and to me. All the shame, all the guilt, all the condemnation was already paid for by Jesus on the cross. We must surrender, but that's all we must do. Surrender to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who has nothing but good intentions towards you for eternity. A touching story Pastor Ed Ray concludes with today on Grow in Grace. And if you've yet to do so, 
may you be moved by the offer of God's tender mercies to surrender your life and your sin to Him. And if you've been away from the Lord, know that it's okay to come home to Him. Today's message is one part of a series based in 2 Timothy. For a CD copy of today's message, call 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. Or listen online at thepackinghouse.org. And look for us on iTunes as well. We can hook you up with many more resources to help you grow in grace when you visit thepackinghouse.org, like Pastor Ed's devotional. Speaking of resources, today we'd like to make special mention of Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, authored by renowned surgeon Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey. Together they explore the human body and uncover statements that God has made about our bodies. They point out that the human body is like a window into the very structure of God's creation and a testament to God's glory. This month, we'll send this to those of you who support Grow in Grace with a donation of any amount. You might think of it as our way of saying thanks. Please remember that your gifts help us to bring Pastor Ed's teachings to the radio every day. To make a year-end contribution, go online at thepackinghouse.org or call 844-77-GRACE. This program is brought to you by the Packing House Christian Fellowship in Redlands. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. 